0: Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're thankful for the Lord this morning. You can be seated uh, this morning. Um, We're thankful for the Lord this morning, this new series. Uh, Remember these uh, lessons. It's it's called the Discipleship Project. So everything is geared toward helping us. You know, uh, these lessons may not sometimes... I think I kind of turn them evangelistic because I get excited about them, but they're not really just uh, evangelistic in, in sense as they are. They're, they're teaching, and they're trying to instruct us in the Word so that we'll know how to live for God past our conversion. Uh, I was talking with another pastor just a week, week or so ago, and we were talking about, um, you know, there's so much life to live after we are born again. And so today uh, we start this series, it is reflecting God's character. And uh, we're going to talk about being a hearer and a doer. And uh, the opening narrative uh, is going to give us some insight as we get going. So we want to be not just a hearer, but we want to be a doer. And so if we want other people to see Jesus through us, then we must be doers and not just hearers of the word. If you're going to be like Jesus, uh, he made the statement that uh, he, the works that he was doing, he was doing because he, that's what he heard from the Father. So he wasn't just a hearer, he was a doer. And so I want to be a hearer. I surely want to hear what the Lord's saying to me, but I also want to do what God wants me to do. Uh, In our narrative, it it says, on a beach in Rio de Janeiro, sounds nice right now, doesn't it, Marcio Mazel Matolius lives in an elaborate sandcastle. This is true. It has been his home for 22 years. He is happy to don a crown, hold a scepter, and pose with a large smile on a wooden throne outside his citadel. The rent for his beachfront lodging is zero, so he has plenty of time to read, golf, and fish. Rental rates on apartments and condos near the beach can range upwards of $300 per night, so Marcio saves somewhere around $100,000 a year on housing. Life is not one long vacation, uh, however, the task of keeping his home from falling down is never ending. Repairs are regularly needed, the sand must be watered to prevent crumbling, The castle also retains heat, which is so unbearable at night that often he has to sleep outside under the stars or at a friend's house. And so there's a story in the Scripture that we maybe it makes you think about that Jesus told concerning the man who built his house on sand. It was apparently quite a nice house, a big house, because when the rains and floods and winds came and beat against it, when it fell, it said, Great Was its fall. So, this wasn't just a little shack. It wasn't a shed uh, or tent that fell down. It was a a great house, and great was its fall. And so, we don't have to uh, guess at what Jesus was trying to say. Don't build on the sand. But when we read the the entire parable and we read between the lines, we realize that Jesus is not just talking about building houses on beaches, Uh, he's talking about making wise choices. Uh, for us to choose to obey his words. Because there's another man that we read about in the story that Jesus refers to, and he built his house on a rock, and when the rains came and the wind came, his home was not threatened, it stood the test. This parable has context, and that's why we can understand it and see why when Jesus ended these sayings that people were astonished at his teaching. When you read about it, it, it says that they... They marveled at, they were astonished at the way he taught because he taught as one who had authority uh, and not as the scribes. That's something. They're supposed to be the the teachers, but they were not teaching with authority, just uh, empty, no power behind what they were saying. And the sayings uh, that refer to here are those of the sermons on the mount. This uh, parable comes at the end of that in Matthew chapter 7. And to a large extent, the Sermon on the Mount explained what people are to do and what they are not to do. So Jesus concluded his address with these words, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. It's about hearing and it's about doing. It's not enough to say, hey, I just need to go hear some preaching. We need to obey the preaching. It's not just I want to, uh, you know, listen to the Bible uh, on my phone or in my car, but I want to do what the Bible says for me to do. And so, unlike the scribes, Jesus did not merely restate the words of other teachers. He taught with authority. That is, his words. If he's the authority, if somebody's the authority on something, that means his words were the last word on the subject that he addressed. There was no need to look for a second opinion. The word of God is the authority, and we never have to try to find something outside of God's word to make our life better, to answer the questions. God's word will answer the question, and it will be the authority. So when, you know, a lot of times people get kind of nervous and scared when they get asked the question because they know, I believe what the Bible says, but they probably don't doesn't matter the bible's the authority on it. Yeah. And so you're not it's not uh, that you've come up with some new idea, you tell them this is what the bible says. Yeah. Now people don't like that because they're upset that we believe what the bible says. Yeah. This world uh, is trying to stop us because we believe what the bible says. This world goes contradictory to everything that we believe that the bible says. It's worse and worse every day. It's astonishing in the news that Uh, This world has turned uh, to such, uh, uh, just gotten so far away from what the scripture says. And so uh, the reason is that uh, people are so, I've got to do me, I've got to have my freedom, I've got to, you know, I don't want nobody telling me what to do. And people think that, that Christianity is just a religion of don'ts, but it's not. But still, some people complain that, well, I can never be a Christian because uh, they think that's all we are, just a, a a group of people who believe in don'ts. From their perspective, all Christianity does is prohibit prohibit people from doing what they want to do. Well, sometimes people need to be stopped from what they want to do because what they want to do ain't what God wants them to do either. And so we know this is not true. We know that. We're not here trying to make people just not do things. We know that's not what it is and and that this is not just a bunch of rules that stop us from enjoying life. We enjoy life. We serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, This is the day that the Lord has made and we are going to be glad and rejoice in it. And uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I understand today that uh, something maybe they don't understand, but living for God is the best thing going. But if all people could, if everyone could just freely do whatever they wanted to do with no consequence, what kind of life would that be? The best word to describe it would be anarchy, people just doing what they wanted to do. Safety would be non-existence. chaos would prevail, and any idea that the only good life is a rule-free life is nonsense. In such a society, civilization would cease to exist. That doesn't mean that all rules are good. And should be obeyed. Uh, In the scripture we know that the apostles were charged and threatened not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. The leaders of that day, when they said something, they felt like this is the rule, you obey it. But Peter answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So there are some things that uh, even though the maybe the authorities of the land may say, this is what we're going to say, I can't, I still can't go along with it if it goes against the word of God or it stops me from preaching the gospel. Well, what if they come to lock you up? I guess I'll have to cross that bridge when I get to it. But I know that I cannot stop preaching the word of God and I cannot back down on God's word. It, it's the authority. And so... Uh, to understand kind of what we 're talking about here, this reflecting god 's character, we go back to kind of and see what God intended for his people all along and when we look all the way back to the law of Moses, it placed emphasis on negative commands, but it gave no power to transform people 's lives it it was It just was what it was. When the law begins in uh, Exodus nineteen, it included 613 commandments. Have you ever been reading in the Old Testament and and trying to think, how in the world could I remember to do all of this? But out of these 613, 365 of these commandments were do not do this. Got 365 things to remember not to do. And then 248 that were this is what you're going to do. That's Even that, that's a lot i got 248 things to do that I've got to remember to do. The law was given to guide, govern, direct their lives, but it did not offer a way to transform their life. It it didn't change them. It was, you don't do this, you don't do that, but it did not transform who they were on the inside. But the law, as explained later in Scripture, it did nothing to enable people to keep these commands. It was, you know, it was obedience. God wanted them to have faith. They wanted them to trust him, but there was no uh, power that they had to help them with this. Instead, the law anticipated its own demise in favor of a better covenant. God already knew something better was coming. Hebrews, if you read it, you'll read about that, that there was a better covenant coming. And when Moses wrote these words in Deuteronomy 32... It was uh, like a song. This is what he said about God's people. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons and not to God. Uh, And I'm reading the New King James, so if you're following it's, it's in the King James, but in the book here, it was in the New King James Uh, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. Moses was not optimistic about Israel's future. He loved God's people, but he knew the kind of people they were. And he wrote, I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And the reason for Moses' pessimism was that God had spoken to him about these things coming on Israel. He knew uh, and God knew the kind of people they were. Israel was hard-hearted, stiff-necked, rebellious, complaining, griped, whined. They, They had a lot of things going on in their life, and God would do miracles, and they just would not trust him. But in uh, Deuteronomy 31, uh, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of this land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me. They will break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured with many evils, and trouble shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? Now the problem with Israel was this, and it's what Moses said at the end of that one uh, chapter, that these are children in whom is no faith. They did not have faith. God wanted them to have faith. The writer in Hebrews said, uh, in Hebrews 4 and 2, was not the gospel preached to them also? Sure it was, he said, but it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith to them that heard it. So it wasn't that they didn't have a, a saving word. They just had no faith in it. And we know that faith is more than just hearing, and faith is more than just believing because faith without works is dead. They needed uh, to have faith in God's word and obey God's word. So uh, God wanted Israel uh, to be a community of faith. He wanted them to be people who would obey his voice and keep his covenant. If so, they uh, if they would do this, he said in Exodus 19, that they would be a special treasure to him above all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted them to believe the words that Moses spoke to them. And so he, he wanted them to have faith. And Israel cried out and said, Oh, everything that the Lord has spoken, we're going to do. But they didn't do it. Uh, they, they just did what they wanted to do. They did good while they were in, under the, the cloud of the blessing. Whenever God was blessing them and touching them and, and providing for them, you know, there was that short period of time where, wow, look what God's done. But then as soon as as they got a little dry throat, as soon as they had a little hunger pain, as soon as uh, it got a little hot, uh, complaining. Yeah. Where's God? Why ain't he helping us? Why is he not here? And so in the New uh, Testament, the New Covenant, it provides not just words for us to go, go by, but it provides for a new birth, and it makes us a new creation with empowerment to be led by the Holy Ghost. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Ghost now? Praise God. I'm thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that it'll lead me into all truth. And in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets, you know, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the prophets were writing about this new covenant that was coming and what it would provide. And they were also aware of Israel's covenant-breaking failure to live a life of obedient faith. And so they would write in anticipation about this different covenant. Jeremiah 31, he wrote this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and remember them no more. When Ezekiel wrote about it, he, he stated it like this. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. And then Isaiah completes this perspective by saying in Isaiah 59, As for me, saith the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, saith the Lord, from this time and forevermore. And so as we compare these prophecies concerning the new covenant, there are seven things that will stand out uh, from the old covenant. Number one, it is nothing like the law of Moses. It's not on tables of stone. It's written on the tables of the heart. It's not like the law of Moses. It involves a transformed mind, it includes a changed heart. It provides forgiveness of sin. It involves the reception of God's Spirit in the life of a believer. It has something to do with the words that we speak. Hello. That's, that's important, isn't it? Uh, the Holy Ghost, uh, i make you talk right. Yeah. It enables a person to be obedient to God's commands. It helps you to do what God wants you to do. And so there's enough detail about the new birth in the Old Testament that when Jesus walked this earth, he was kind of marveled at the fact that people did not understand this. Remember when he meets with uh, Nicodemus, and he's talking to him in in John chapter 3, and he begins to talk about the new birth, and he says, "...unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit." Do not marvel that I said unto you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but it, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, How can these things be? And Jesus answers him, Are you a master and a teacher in Israel, and you don't know this? You don't understand this? You're a teacher a master in Israel, you've, you've, I, I I don't know what it took for them to graduate into their positions as rabbi and different things like that, but I'm sure they, somebody just walk up and say, hey, I'm applying. Well, what do you know about the scripture? Well, nothing, but it seems like a pretty good job. It's inside, you get to wear nice clothes and people uh, give you money, so I guess I'll do that, you know, kind of like people want to preach today. A lot of them, it's how hey, you get to wear, wear what you want and take people's money you know that's what they think about preachers and you don't have to know nothing about the bible just tell people hey you're going to be all right everything's going to be good and, and you has know, got a, got pulpits full of inspirational speakers let me tell you if the word of god can't inspire you if the word of god can't inspire you uh, you know i, I don't need uh, somebody's uh Fables and and quotations about life to get me through. I need the word of God to get me through. I live by every word. So preach to me, preacher. I need God's word. And so what we see, the differences in the Old Testament, the New Testament, is is Old Testament, uh, to keep the law, there was a lot of self-discipline that you had to have. I mean, you had to. I mean, when you read all these things, I man, it's like you accidentally touch something. You're unclean. I mean, you know, it's like you, you, you walk in the house where somebody's got some unclean. Now you're unclean. I just took a bath. I got to take another one and wash my clothes. And then I'm still unclean until the evening. You know, so or, or now, oh, that seven days. I got to shave my head. You know, it, I mean, you're like you start reading all the things they had to do. And it's like, good gracious. Yeah. But uh, all of it was a shadow. It wasn't the, 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 exactly what we do, but a shadow of things to come. It was giving us a glimpse into how the Spirit would work in our life. But uh, now we are Spirit-enabled. Yeah. It does not mean that once you have the Holy Ghost, that it is all just downloaded into you. It'll, you will obey it by the leading of the Spirit. The Spirit will lead you into all truth. His Word is truth. The Bible said, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And so the Holy Ghost will lead you in the Word of God. I promise you this, that if it takes you outside of the Word of God, it ain't the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost will not lead you off into some make-believe, fairy tale, fable. Uh, It will only lead you in truth. And so, in this, you know, we see people, people are—they're they, good at disciplining themselves today for what they want to do. Right. Somebody wants to play an instrument; they start dedicating five, six hours a day to practice. They'll learn that instrument, or if they want to learn a, a different language, that well, they can discipline themselves to do that, or or to get healthy, get in shape, lose weight—all these things you can you can discipline yourself to do that, and. uh that's all right, but the Holy Ghost enables us to adopt a lifestyle right. that cannot be achieved by self-discipline. Right. That doesn't mean we don't need discipline. Right. But self-discipline alone will never help you to completely live your life for God. Right. You're going to have to have the Holy Ghost. Uh, in the the Holy Ghost, the fruit of the spirits are love joy, peace long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and they're not achievable by goal setting or new year's resolutions. Now, some aspects of the fruit of the spirit uh may be imitated by good manners, and we think well that's you know they they're they're good, they're nice people, but anything short of the transforming work of the Holy Ghost in one's life. Uh, will fail at some point. It can't bear the load It's going to, it, because it's not power. It's having a, that's having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Uh, Paul said this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Yes. So self-discipline does not uh, make you a son of God. It is being led by the Spirit of God that makes us the sons and daughters, the children of God. And so uh, there's a scripture uh, that James wrote. uh, We're going to talk about now, you know, reflecting that. uh, What does that mean now that we understand that we need the Holy Ghost? We need that transforming power so that we can walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and be led in truth. Uh, I want to do that. That's where I'll most uh, mirror God is when I learn His ways, learn His Word. Um, I don't want to just see His works. As Israel did, I want to know his ways. And so um, James said it like this in James 1, 22 through 25, which is our focus scripture actually for the lesson. He said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own self. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is any scripture that we have, the scripture, the uh, the word of God, the, the new covenant, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, so if he hears looks into it and he doesn't just hear but he becomes a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now James, uh, most people agree that he was the half-brother of Jesus and he uses this analogy of a mirror to describe how believers must not only hear but also do what God's word says. True religion does not consists of little-known wisdom that is useful only for contemplation, just something to think about. It proclaims truth that when it's obeyed produces behavior beneficial both to the person acting and to the recipient of the acting. So what he's saying is like, uh, don't tell somebody, hey, just uh, be warmed and be filled, but you don't do anything. But... uh, If you give them what they need, then not only you are blessed, but they're blessed also. You're blessed for obeying the Word of God, and and they're blessed by receiving your obedience. And so uh, the Word of God is not just for us to meditate on and think about and then do nothing. Uh, The Word of God proclaims truth. It is a living Word. Uh, We stand on the Word of God. We're built on the Word of God. We live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God and so why should we think it's strange that it would produce new behavior in our life? Yeah. Yeah. Why would anyone think that, hey, I'm going to read this book? I mean, there's so many self-help books out there today. And, and, but if you read them and you just read them and put them back on the shelf and, and don't take any of the advice, well, what good did it do you? Yeah. Reading a, a book don't help you. Doing what the book says uh-huh. will help you. It can increase your knowledge and your brain. It will give you ideas to think about. But hey, nobody gets anything done by just thinking about it. Wishing it would happen. Dreaming about it. Somebody's got to get up and do what it takes and do what it says. There's got to be some preparation. Yeah. And for us, for children of God, that word of God is just speaking truth in our life. When we live, uh, we read uh, what the scripture says. We live what the scripture says. Uh, the, the word of God indicts us. Yeah. And so, we're, we're const- like one man said, I'm constrained by it. I, I can't go outside the boundaries of the word of God and uh, so, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel because uh, I'm constrained by this word. It's, uh, I've got to do what it says. We can't live outside of God's word. Or we will not mirror this king of kings. Because, well, I, I don't do anything. I know people out there well, I know people that don't go to church. They don't even read the Bible. Oh, but they love folks. So love, whoever said loving people was what's gonna get you there. We we have to, we need to, we should love people. Because you're gonna be like him, but but that's not what saves you. Jesus said, even you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So let me tell you, evil people, he was talking about people. Uh, un, unconverted, un- uh, unsaved people. He said, "They love their kids. Sinners love each other. Yeah. It's going to take the word right. and reflecting the word and and what the word says. And so, if it is like a mirror, then uh, we don't want to be like smoking mirrors. You know what smoking mirrors is? That's what they talk about with magicians. They use a little puff of smoke, a mirror to deflect your attention, so they can." Uh, do an illusion to make you think they actually cut their hand off or pull a rabbit out of their hat or or stuck a sword through their neck or whatever it is of course i believe there's a lot of freaky magicians today that there's some other spirit working with them and they really doing that nonsense but but uh but the the old term smoke and mirrors for our use here today is uh people trying to create an illusion but there's no place in this christian faith for an illusion I don't want to just give people the illusion that I'm something Jesus warned us about in our giving, in our praying, in our fasting. But just be doing that so you can make everybody around think you're something. You know, just, just trying to give the illusion. You're praying louder so you will give the illusion that you're righteous and holy. You're, you're letting everybody see you empty your money bag out so everybody will think, you know, that, that it's all, but it's not even in their heart. It's just, it's their, it's their own flesh, it's their belly and they've got their reward. I want to have a true devotion to God. So when we talk about this mirror, the negative example is this, that those who hear the word of God but do nothing to bring their behavior into conformity with the word are like those who look into a mirror but do nothing about what the mirror reveals. A mirror is just not so you can see your reflection. You know, But now a lot of people... Love a mirror for that because they like looking at themselves. But now they got their phones, they that's where the selfie came from. I, I like looking at myself, and I want everybody else to look at me. But really, a mirror is so you can check yourself. Yeah. Is my tie straight? Is my hair fixed? Do, do I have broccoli in my teeth? Is it, you know, uh, you know? but you know, how many times, you know, you ladies, have you asked your friend, hey, have you got a mirror? You got a mirror? As trying, you just got out of the restaurant and uh, you're, you're like smiling and looking. But what if you look and, and you got that big piece of cracked pepper right there between your front teeth. But you don't do nothing about it. Well, what was you looking for? Why, why even look? Uh, you, when you look in a mirror, you're trying to assess, am I like I need to be? But if I see I'm not. I mean, how I many? If you looked in the mirror and you realize that you misbuttoned your shirt, you're not going to change that. Or you could see part of your undergarments. You're not going to change that. Or I got this; don't match. You ain't going to change that. Well, ladies, especially ladies, uh, man, they going to go out of the house looking right. So uh, I think sometimes that people just don't have friends or they don't have a mirror because some people <laughs> obviously didn't look before they walked out. Uh, of the house and nobody loves them because nobody told them any different but uh, just like that the word of God does not just exist to show us a reflection it exists to show us what we are and to prompt us to make the needed correction so we look into the word to see how we should live. We, we were at a conference this week and the theme was alignment. And so uh, we've been, that's been a lot in my mind and in my spirit praying, God, I want to be aligned with your word. I don't want to be out of alignment with, with your will and with your purpose and what you want me to do. So uh, I'm looking into his word so I can make the needed corrections. The person who does nothing about what the word shows is someone who does nothing, is just like someone who does nothing about what the mirror revealed. It is pointless to merely look into the word that produces no benefit. It is when we do what the the word says that we when we change, when we make the corrections, when we get ourselves in alignment. You know, sometimes there's things we just don't know, especially new converts, you don't realize. You don't know. You, you've never read that, and nobody's been taught it to you. But you're reading the scripture, and all of a sudden you're like, "Wow, you know, I don't know. You, I, you don't steal, you know. So, oh man, God's word says not to steal. I better not steal, you know. Some people uh, they don't steal because they don't want to go to jail. That's it. But uh, I don't steal because God's word. Now I don't want to go to jail. But uh, the first authority in my life is God's word. And so I don't steal. Uh, And we like to say, well, I wouldn't be a thief anyway. I don't like a thief. You'd be surprised what you'd be if you didn't have the word of God. You'd be surprised what you're capable of when the Holy Ghost ain't living inside You'd be surprised of the things that you could get yourself involved in if you didn't have the word of God constraining you and, and keeping you uh, walking in truth. You see all these people out in this world just doing stuff you think, uh, I feel like when Jesus told them, said, you think these people were more wicked than somebody else because that happened? It'd be the same for you, what he told me. He said, except if you repent, you'll likewise perish. He said, Don't think you're just, uh, you're just uh, you know, oh, well, I'm better than everybody else. Let me tell you. And people doing them crazy things in the world. No Holy Ghost. No God. No teaching. no pre- People have grown up in this world today. Have reached adulthood. Never set foot in a church. Never been preached to. Never been prayed for. Never been prayed for. You know that? That people in this world today. There, there are some that have never been prayed for. They don't have praying parents. They don't have uh, anybody in their life that has ever took them by the hand or laid their hands on them and said in the name of Jesus. That's the world we live in today. And so it's more important now than ever before that we reflect the word of God. Now the positive example of this mirror in contrast to those who look into the word and do nothing about it. Those who will be blessed are the ones who will not only look into the word of God or look in that mirror but who also bring their behavior into conformity with it, with the word, with the word. And so we want to be in line with the word. James used a form of the Greek word there, which uh, has to do with abiding or remaining to describe the proper response to what you see in God's word. Because it says, if you continue in. And so it means to abide in it or remain in it. So it's not just... uh, A a one-time, sporadic, uh, you know, uh, I just do this every once in a while, it's you stay in it. That's like when Jesus told the disciples, abide in me. Well, he was the word made flesh. And so when I abide in him, uh, I abide in the word. What what do you think he meant by that? When he said abide in me, he he, he didn't have pouches for all them to jump in and and stay with him. (laughs) You know, you, you, but he's using the, 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 to give you the imagery of staying in him because we're baptized into him. If any man be in Christ, well, how do I stay in Christ? How do I abide in him? Through his word. And when I get out of the word, I get out of him because he's the word made flesh. And so we're trying to help you to see that, uh, that uh, we don't get to pick the way we abide in him there's only one way to abide in him and that's through his word. And so the person uh uh the person that's going to be blessed uh he doesn't just uh merely conform does not merely conform with the norms of the word sporadically but he continues in obedience. In other words, he takes up his cross daily and he walks daily with God. Lord, you know, we pray that give us this day our daily bread. And so uh, we want to uh, want His kingdom to come, His will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I want I want His will in my life, and uh, you can stand with me this morning. In the Scripture, Matthew twenty-one, Jesus gives a parable about um, a man that had two sons. To the first son, he he said, "I want you to go work in my vineyard today." And his son said, "I'm not going to do it," but later he regrets his. Obstinence in his rebellion. He repents, changes his mind, and, and he goes and works in the field. The man said the same thing to his second son, and uh, just like he did to the first son, and he goes, Yes, sir, absolutely, I'll go. I'll go work today. But he did not go. And so Jesus asked the chief priest and the elders there, which one of these two did the will of his father? And they said, The first... And so Jesus answers them, Well, truly I tell you that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're going to enter into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you did not repent and believe him. And so uh, that parable is just like this uh, scripture talking about mirrors Uh, there was a son who heard what his father said said I'm not going to do it but then changed his mind and lined up to the word of God and that was the will of God but the one who said yes sir I'll do it he heard and then he didn't obey and so Jesus told the people of that day said these people heard and they lined up you saw it but you thought you were better than that. And so you didn't. And he said, so all the, you know, you're the leaders. You're the chief priest. You're the scribes. You, you, you're the rabbis. And yet the tax collectors that y'all hate so bad and these harlots, these prostitutes, they're going in ahead of you because they lined up. They changed when they saw the word of God. I want to make sure if I'm going to reflect the character of God, you got to know you can't do it outside of the Word of God. I want to line up to it. I don't want to just be looking in the mirror and not doing anything about what I see. I don't want to just read the Word and see. Do you know if you're sitting there reading that Word and God shows you something you need to fix in your life and you just keep on reading? He just saw you jump that. He saw you go on by. And he knows that he made it jump off the page at you. You ever had a scripture just jump on you out of the book where you couldn't read nothing else? Like everything else went blurry. One scripture's like, right here, I'm getting your attention. And you shake that off and keep moving. I don't want to do that. Looking in the mirror and forgetting what kind of person I am. mm, I want to fix what's wrong. I want to straighten myself, align myself I'm not just looking in the word for recreation. I'm looking in the word for my life, for my salvation today. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word and and what it does for us. Lord, thank you because your word is a light under our path and a lamp under our feet. Lord, I pray today that we will just, Lord, look into this word, this mirror. Lord, and see, examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith or not and and make the needed corrections. God, help us today through the Holy Ghost to be led in truth, God, to be led by your word, to hear what the Spirit is saying as we preach, as we teach, as we read and study, God, and to line ourselves up with Scripture. God, we praise you for giving us this today. We love you for it. We thank you for it. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thankful for the word of God today. So thankful for the word of God today. I want to line up with scripture. Amen. Thank you for being in the discipleship this morning. Uh, let's find a place to pray before the next service. We've got uh, baby dedications and singing and all kind of neat things going on in this next service. So let's get ready to have a move of God. God bless you.